0: www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for The Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218.
1: Hi, I'm Eric Galindo, Training Director for the FSI Training School. For individuals and businesses, we offer certification courses in CPR and first aid through the American Heart Association.
2: And also the Vehicle Safety Inspector Course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615.
1: That's 210-314-2615. Welcome to the Bible Live
2: Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year.
3: on Sunday nights at 9. Join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Soapy will ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar.
4: Tonight for the Bible Live broadcast, Jacob is with me. I, what, Jacob?
1: When you, t- you touched that other button over there, I went dead.
4: Oh, oh uh, well, he went dead. <laughs> so, not really, folks. He did not go dead. But uh, Jacob is with us in the house, and he's going to be with us during the hour. We do have a special uh, opportunity tonight. A special. Introduction to our program. We will be oh, looking at we our readings from this past week. All came from the book of Deuteronomy, chapters I'm six through twenty-eight. Deuteronomy six through twenty-eight, and we'll be asking questions and taking your phone calls about this great book of the of the Bible. This uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fifth book of the Bible, the fifth book of the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch, and it's these these these. Okay three or four lectures that Moses gives uh before his death they're camped on the east side of the Jordan River just preceding now the the uh, the entrance crossing the Jordan into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua but uh Moses is now giving these uh lectures remember Moses is the one who said I can't talk lord and here he is giving these lectures to the people of Israel and so can, can, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. All right. Did you know that Moses
1: talked just like Elvis Presley? He did what? Did you know
4: Moses? <laughs> John taught, says, Here we go. Uh,
1: did you know Moses talked? just Because you're talking about him stuttering. Yes. But did you know Moses talked just like Elvis Presley?
4: Did, did Elvis Presley stutter? No. But. Since you're talking about him talking. Are you going to give us an impression? Is that what we're No,
1: no, not uh, at all. Your... When Moses went in front of Pharaoh, he said, uh-uh, Pharaoh, you can do anything but stay off of my subdued juice.
4: <laughs> I knew there would be some stay you off know, of my subdued juice. Blue oh, yeah. suede yeah, shoes. Blue suede shoes. Sub- subdued juice. juice. My subdued juice. Okay. Well, there you go. I don't have a rim shot or we'd come up with what. There you go, John. Thanks what a lot. Thought. But uh, we are going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy tonight. We're going to be uh, uh, answering questions, telling you know, it means, uh, the second law. We've already talked about it a little bit last week.
1: That's Greek, but, you know. <coughs>
4: yeah, those crazy Greeks. They messed up again. But Jacob's going to help us get through that, and we're going to study some of the uh, traditions, some of the laws, and some of the things that Moses laid out for them in the book of Deuteronomy. But first, but first, I have a very special treat. We are... <coughs> This week, uh, with our our work and our ministry with the um, crew military out at Lackland, with our uh, military personnel and so on, uh, we had a great visit this week from the executive committee, the crew military executive committee, uh, from across the country, actually. Uh, they ca- gathered here in San Antonio. They had a series of meetings and get-together and so on. But they also, uh, we then, since they were here, uh, came out and, and visited with us out at Lackland and helped and kind of got a chance to visit and see the the ministry and the work that we do out there with the uh, uh basic trainees and the and the uh working with the chaplains the great chaplains of the air force and uh Keith was with us Keith and Sharon Morgan and Keith is the national director retired colonel army colonel Keith Morgan and uh he and his wife and the, and the folks were in the city and uh so I asked him tonight maybe to come on and talk a little bit about crew military uh, he would give you a good picture of the national ministry, what we're doing across the nation. Since we are in Military City, USA, here in San Antonio, we are uh, very respectful and very, um, well, I, I think, Keith, are you there with us? I just want to make sure you're on the line with us already. Can you hear me all right, Keith? I can hear you fine. Oh, wonderful. You're coming through loud and clear as well. With well, this hey, city, This city of San Antonio is... Uh, as they say, called the Military City USA, not only because of the uh, the active military presence on the four or five bases uh, across the city, uh, and now the Joint uh, Command, the Joint Base San Antonio, it's called. Uh, so we, we have a great military presence active now, but also sometimes we forget the fact that, uh, I, if I remember correctly, at one time it was 350,000, 400,000, maybe even greater number now of our population, which... It, it, which is a sizable percentage of our uh, city's population are not only active duty, but retired reserves and military dependents, many, many family members that are here with us, uh, all with a connection to the United States military. So uh, it is a great city to be in in that sense. And I'm really excited that you're going to be with us. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit, to our audience about crew military, what it's doing across the land. you, uh the national director of all the different ministries uh so welcome keith morgan we welcome you on uh the program tonight we're going to be talking i told you earlier we're going to talk about the book of deuteronomy so anything you want to kind of relate to the scriptures <laughs> there in the early book that'll be great as well so uh welcome Thanks. keith
0: thank you thank you so for hey it's great to be here and work with a wonderful team the volunteers that you have under your leadership there at blackline it's just great
4: Oh, well, we, ha- um, we yeah, have a ball.
0: So Deuteronomy 6.5 oh. says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You probably covered that verse.
4: Well, we cover it tonight, podcast. so uh, that'll be, you're right on target.
0: Uh, so what we do with crew military is help apply that verse to the hearts of men and women and their families uh, in the military all around the world. We've got about 125 full-time and part-time staff, several hundred volunteers serving here and abroad. And our goal is to help fulfill the great commission as it says at the end of Matthew, where Jesus uh, directs us to go make disciples of all nations. And so that includes men and women in uniform and their families. So we take that command very seriously. And I believe that God is blessing our efforts and reaching men and women with the gospel all around the world. It's very, very exciting. Um, even what we're seeing at Lackland Air Force Base, the Genesopio God is on the move, and we're just thrilled about that. I would just share quickly um, a testimony from one of our locations um, that came from one of our volunteers um, ministering on a Sunday morning, and uh, here's what he said. Uh, he's been teaching a uh, Sunday school class for some time. And one of the classes family members could become with these, um, brand new, uh, recruits who just became, you know, airmen, soldier, sailor, and marine. Uh, but he said, uh, that he was able to pray with an entire family. Think about this. He was able to pray with an entire family, dad, mom, grandmom, sister, and the graduating service member to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. He said, I'm pumped. It was
3: awesome. <laughs> Praise
0: God for giving us such an opportunity to lead servicemen and women and their
4: families mm. to Christ. It's, it is an amazing so not thing.
0: only are we reaching the men and women in Europe, but we're reaching their families as well. So it's very, very exciting.
4: In terms of the Great Commission, uh, Keith, we talked about Matthew 28, what Jesus tells us to go into all the nations, all the people groups of the world, and uh, be a part of helping to to share the message of redemption and a confident, secure relationship with God, that that is all men everywhere invited into that. How do how do you see the military kind of being a unique, you know, uh, people group or a unique uh, audience or target group for that particular purpose for the idea of reaching the world?
0: That's a great that's a great question, Sophie. Yeah, you know, they are a separate people group. I mean, think of them in terms of a, a separate tribe. Um, they have their own language.
4: You're talking my they language. Uh, the, the Apache, we like to talk about tribes all the yeah. time, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: they have their own uniform. Um, they have their own unique culture and their way of doing things. And, uh, yeah, so we think of the military in terms of being cross-cultural right here in our midst. And, uh, and so, yeah, they are very unique. The challenges are unique. And, and I would say, um, in many respects, um, it's more stressful um, in a military lifestyle than it is for civilians. You know, they're constantly on the move, many times in our harm's way. Uh, many of them come back from deployment or from combat different people because of what they've experienced, uh, a good number of them currently are living in hopelessness and despair. And so we want to come alongside them in partnership with chaplains yeah. and minister to them with the gospel, with the resources that we've produced to help give them hope in the midst of hopelessness and despair.
4: It's a thrilling thing to do. And another unique thing that I, I've kind of seen and experienced is that they, they go from us, we've had an opportunity to, pour a little bit into them, to be an encouragement to them, to inspire to help them in in that relationship with God. They go on from us, unlike a lot of people groups, they definitely do actually get sent literally around the world. We have uh, folks that move on from our ministry here in San Antonio. They move on to Korea, to Afghanistan, to, to Iraq, to Europe, different parts of Europe, around the world, where uh, men and women with the United States military are deployed and that's a unique thing as well about ministering in the, in the military community and the military culture.
0: Absolutely. Now, we like to think of them as missionaries in year one uh, because when we have access to them, as you know, mm-hmm. um, we help do the winning and building in their faith, and then the government does the sending. <laughs> so the government will send them overseas, they'll send them on employment, and then they're going to the four corners of the earth. Mm. So what a great opportunity for them to have a spiritual impact in the midst of uh, other men and women where they really,
4: serve. Really, yeah, and, and kind of almost unique to—I don't know another culture or another uh, career necessarily uh, that people might be involved with that would that would include that element. Now, some you know some corporations are inter- international and so on and people personnel do get sent to other lands, but this is uh, in the military. It's you know it's actually a very prominent part of many times of the military family and their experience. T- t- you mentioned a while ago, Keith, and, and by the way, folks, if you'd like to talk uh, to Colonel uh, Morgan, here, uh, retired Colonel Morgan, you can definitely give us a call. Our phone number is 340-9585. We're just going to visit a few minutes here about what we do, what crew military does, and uh, maybe you have a question about what they do and how uh, we function uh, with uh, now, particularly, we work with what is called the Gateways Ministry. Those who are coming into the different military services across the land, of course, here the, the Air Force at Lackland and and, and other um, basic training units, of course, uh, across America for the for the different branches as well, but also with permanent party personnel and the people who are deployed uh, ships. Uh, networking throughout the military personnel all over the world. You So if you'd like to give us a call, do that, 340-9585. Maybe you'd like the unique chance to visit with uh, uh, Colonel Morgan or Keith and kind of ask him a question that you've maybe had about uh, military experience or military ministry. You mentioned while ago, Keith, uh, the, the chaplains, and, and I have been particularly impressed with that in the time that we've ministered here and worked in San Antonio just meeting some, just incredible men and women uh in, in that serve in our military. Meeting, helping to meet the spiritual needs of our of our military personnel. R- remarkable people, and uh and I'm. Now, how many years did you serve actually with with the in the army? It was pretty good. Twenty six. Twenty six years. Yes, Thank I had
0: twenty six years of active duty and. My wife, Sharon, and I have been serving full-time recruit military for the last 12
4: years. 12 how we thank you, uh, as always, for that service. It really means a lot to us, to all of for us. That. But but talk to us a little bit about the role of chaplains and how we work with them. And uh, maybe people don't know a little bit about the uniqueness of the of military ministry in that sense. They they have a broader scope, and a, is, there's some uniqueness to uh, being a, a, a military chaplain. Maybe you could speak to that a bit.
0: Yes, they do. We consider the chaplains as spiritual gatekeepers of the bases and installations around the world. They're really the tip of the spear. They have to provide religious accommodation, as you know, um, for the different faith groups that will be represented on these bases. And, and they're under a lot of pressure, I'll just tell you. They work very, very hard uh, in support of the commander. On the base or the commander of the unit where they're assigned, and uh, and so they're the dispensers of hope, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to those who are serving in their respective units. Um, we get to be an extension of the chaplain, essentially, mm-hmm. and uh, help by providing you know Bible study support, Sunday school assistance. Uh, whatever we can do to help them reach their ministry goals uh, on those installations around the world. So chaplains are very, very important to us. We love chaplains. We honor them at every opportunity. Uh, I think we enjoy really uh, good relationships with chaplains for the most part, and so they're an indispensable part of of ministry. We We couldn't operate without their support.
4: They're an amazing group of people, and they they have to stretch well, as you say, they have to uh, often meet the spiritual needs of people who maybe are outside of their particular denominational or sponsoring a denomination, but, but they they stretch they and, and to some ways, I felt a great kinship with them as part of Campus Crusade for Christ or crew the uh, uh, crew military is that we we get to focus on the on those essential elements, those basic truths that are so exciting that. That most believers from all of our different backgrounds and, and denominations experiences those essential truths that we have in common, uh, and and they uh, chaplains I think get to do that as well. But often they are asked to stretch as well, and that maybe end up ministering to someone outside of their particular denominational expertise or knowledge. But but I I have really been struck by uh, these men and women, and of course here in Lack, uh, Lackland and other we. Meet some wonderful chaplains here in our city, uh, joined by San Antonio at different at our different sites, and uh, uh, the, I I'm a great admirer. I've become a tremendous fan of what they do, and, and the the sacrifices, the difficulty of what they do. In fact, and uh, but I, I I've never met one of them that ever complained. They they are a very very enthusiastic group. We do have a caller. Uh, would you mind visiting with David? He's on the line and wants to ask a question. I think. Sure. for you. All right, David, are you there with us? Yes, I'm here. So. Good, good. Maybe uh, Keith is there on the phone. You guys just visit. I, I think you had a question about uh, the ministry and what they do and so on, and um, go for it. Well,
5: yeah, about, well, I guess about the ministry, but about chaplains kind of more in particular, uh-huh. and I'll try to tie this into this week's reading. In Deuteronomy 12, uh, round verse 230. it talks about how you're not supposed to even inquire into the ways of other nations and how they worship their gods, but yet I've seen a, a video that's been going around pretty prominently on the internet lately about, um, I think it's an army base in North Carolina having these larger, uh, Wiccan and, and pagan ceremonies and practices and how to, how does a chaplain or, or even a ministry like crew that, that has a, you know, a desire to worship God the way that He says to, and to really, I mean, according to the Word, not have anything to do with those kinds of worships. How do they, how do they find that that balance to, you know, to, to minister to mm-hmm. those people? Because I mean, I would I would imagine that even a a Christian Christ professing pastor would have to provide spiritual minis- you know, ministry to those groups right. as well.
4: Yeah, to those individuals. Yeah. I, I believe that's
0: a, that's a great question, David. I think what the chaplains are required to do is to provide religious accommodation for groups like that. So that doesn't mean that they endorse those different groups. It means they have to provide accommodation, a place for them to assemble, a place for them to you know, express worship in the context of their their beliefs you know, as long as they don't do anything crazy. Um, <laughs> and many times they have to bring in outside delayed leaders um, because we don't yet have chaplains that are endorsed by a Wiccan group. Um, so that's the way that that's working right now. You know, I would say groups like ours, uh, you know, crew, you know, individually we want to try to reach out to, to people who, who don't know the Lord, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll do that by, you know, just loving them the way Jesus loved them, and, uh, you know, leave the results to God. It doesn't mean that we endorse or embrace, you know, their beliefs. If they differ from ours, it, it means that we love them, and, uh, you know, we, we pray for them.
4: It is definitely one of the unique, <clears throat> on the one hand, we could say challenges, on the other hand you sh- you could look at it as an opportunity just depending on how you look at it david it's uh it's definitely one of the unique challenges or opportunities that chaplains have particularly the you know for for any of their faith, because they don't really <clears throat> it, it, now look i'm kind of out of my depth here but maybe keith can um kind of correct me here if i'm wrong that often what i've seen is they don't actually end up mm-hmm. ministering so much to groups in terms of group identity and so on they end up most of the time ministering to individuals and it may be an individual from a different background or understanding but uh whenever they offer counsel it's usually very clear biblical it's it's funny it's not it, it, it's more in touch with individuals and identifying with the person we have uh in at, at our classes we have different people coming from a lot of different backgrounds atheists uh humanists that sort of thing they come and attend our classes, and and often they'll say, "Wow, this is the first time I've ever heard. Uh, I've never really heard the Bible or, or the you know Christian basic message. This is intriguing. I it's really opened the door to me to be you know kind of piqued my interest. And so we get that from people from a lot of different backgrounds. But uh, I, I don't I don't know. I was kind of stumbling there a bit, Keith. But that's uh, the idea is that these chaplains, you, you they do have a commitment to meet the spiritual needs. Of mil- help be a part of meeting the spiritual needs of, of uh, military personnel from whatever different background they might have, and sometimes they do have to stretch uh, to do that. And like you say, they use uh, lay uh, volunteers and other people to help them in that in that endeavor. Right. Anything you wanted do to the, add or, or I, correct me, I Eric? Do,
5: do, do the chaplains ever face? I mean, do they have a uh, any restrictions placed on them? Like I know that um. Often prison volunteers and prison chaplains will you know certain prisons will say you can't even mention Jesus mm-hmm. in your ministry and and I would think that in the needs of what people what people have a need for you know and <laughs> their yeah. the, the things that they struggle with in life ultimately is the healing of the messiah so that you know, would just be kind of hard to minister the truth to them sometimes but have that kind of restriction, and yeah. I wonder to do military chaplains encounter that same kind of prohibition.
4: Well, that's, that's one of the things that they have to deal with. There's a lot of rumors out there on the Internet and everything about all the restrictions and the difficulty of sharing the gospel in the military context, and a lot of that it really, uh, frankly, they, it, a lot of it is not true. There's a lot of stuff running out there and a lot of... Uh, a lot of a little bit of an exaggeration. There's a lot more freedom and opportunity than might be mentioned. Keith, can you stay on the line with us just a little bit just into yes, the next segment? Yes, we we'll try not to take Absolutely. too much of your time, but there's our music. The end of our first segment has already gone by. David, thank you for calling. I appreciate hearing from you tonight. Yep. And Thanks, let's everybody. take a quick break. 3-4-0-90. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning processes?
2: Older systems saturate your carpet leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets.
4: Nature's Factored carpet Cleaning for the 21st Century, 831-3535.
2: If you're listening to this station, I can tell we have a few things in common. You care about this country, your family, and your faith. My name is Dixie Bishop, owner of Texas Plumbing Diagnostics. We'd like the privilege of serving you when you have a plumbing problem. That's what the diagnostics is all about. With our skilled, licensed plumbers and leak detection technology, we can find that hidden leak that's affecting your foundation or turning your yard into a swamp. We at Texas Plumbing Diagnostics are not on commission. Our flat rate pricing will cover it all, and of course, we do it all, from water heaters and softeners to stopped-up drains and new gas lines. See why Angie's list has given us the Super Service Award five years in a row. Or read our testimonials at our website, tpdtx.com. Call us at two at our website tpdtx.com. Call us at 210-698-9790 for Texas Plumbing Diagnostics. We respond to your emergency stats.
3: Texas Plumbing Diagnostics. We respond to your emergency
5: stat. Download the new KSLR app to your mobile device. Take us with you wherever you go. Download it for free at KSLR.com. Word of
4: God speak. Would you pour down
3: like rain?
4: You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar.
1: My eyes to see your
5: majesty, to be still and know that
4: you're in All right, we are back. We are visiting with retired Colonel Keith Morgan, U.S. Army, um, over 30 years in service, but now he is the national director for the crew military ministries across the United States and he's giving us a a, a unique view of uh, military culture military yeah. needs and uh, of course we just uh, David just called we talked a little bit about the role and the challenges and opportunities that uh, that uh, these great men and women the chaplains and the chaplaincy of our country's military services uh some of the things that, uh, that they face and, uh, you know, I, I, Keith, I, I was going to keep you a whole long time, but uh, with that question, and I'm sure there's interest out there, I wonder if there's anything else you might like to talk a little bit about. We won't be much longer, but let you speak to a little bit about crew military, what we're doing, maybe people would like sure. to a, a kind of a broad scope picture of um, not only gateways, and but also the other kinds of ministries that we have across the land. Uh, talk to yeah. us about
0: it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all. Uh, in addition to Lackland, we've got six other locations where we provide religious education support on Sundays for recruits. So we're very excited about you know, how God is using those uh, ministry outreaches to, to win people of Christ. Can I
4: mention something there, Keith? Just, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it, it, all of a sudden it occurs to me on, on the, in the face of uh, David's question, about you know the uh, diversity within the United States military, a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, and the fact that the military offers or tries to offer support and, mil- and, and, and in other words their their mission is to help meet the spiritual needs of the men and women in uniform from all the branches of, of our United States military, and the fact that there they do exist these other uh faith groups and different backgrounds and experience and they and they offer uh the personnel and training and t- to support them as well in their faith and their beliefs at the same time that's one of the things that opens the door for us to be able to function uh, in terms of, of the the basic biblical message in the Christian gospel as well so it's it, it's the presence of that diversity that really makes our ministry in some ways possible uh, isn't it or or yes okay yes
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been great, and we appreciate the wonderful support we get, not just from the chaplains but from the commanders as well.
4: Well, but I'm sorry to, to have interrupted you with that, but I, it occurred to me to put that together with what you said about to David's question that that might help people to understand it maybe a little better. But right, go ahead. Just so, in continue. addition,
0: in addition to the the gateways, we also have uh, the academies. We're represented at the Naval and Air Force Academies. We're also present in a number of operating locations, third party locations like Fort Hood, Texas, just down the road. From here, uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, you know, out on the West Coast, San Diego, uh, up in the Great Lakes, and uh, numerous places on the East Coast, including uh, our home right now in the National Capital Region. So we've got a pretty broad uh, coverage of ministry around the nation, and uh, in addition to that, we're partnering with Family Life and supporting a number of weekends or a number of marriage conferences around the country, uh, providing what we call military-friendly support there and uh, connecting with military couples that attend these marriage conferences. Uh, so God's blessing, I would just add, that uh, we're always looking for volunteers. And you can learn more about crew military by going to our website at CRU, that's crew, CRUmilitary.org. Then Luke chapter 10, verse 2, it says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask the Lord the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So we're asking God to raise up an army. Notice I said an army.
3: <laughs> an
0: army of volunteers to help us, uh, you know, complete this great hardness that God's
4: providing. Well, we could ask you a lot more questions, Mr. Uh, Morgan, but, but uh, uh, I, I hope our folks have enjoyed a visit with you, and they can continue that connection through crewmilitary.org. You can inquire. You can learn about the different ministries across the land. Uh, uh, you can call me here in San Antonio, Soapy Dollar, and Suzanne and I would be glad to visit with you as well, let you know about some of those opportunities uh, that might be available, uh, as uh, Keith says, um, there should be a ripe harvest of volunteers and people of uh, some very strong, mature believers, and uh, we're looking for uh, the best of the best to come help work in this particular this rich harvest field and help meet the needs of our men and women in uniform. Uh, it's a unique thing. Do we have do we have staff or, or, or connections too on, on on ships that are deployed out in the oceans of the world? Is that you well, know, I'm not
0: aware if we do. I think uh, we'd love to have connections, obviously. Um we we do with uh some navy that are are not out at sea. Uh-huh. we we don't uh, we don't have any any kind of ability right now to stay connected with those that are deployed.
4: One more question for you, Keith, and that comes from my co host and my friend and partner here in, in uh on the broadcast we uh Jacob is with us he gives us a great deal of help looking into the hebrew scriptures that hebrew tradition the hebrew language the hebrew background the culture that that really is there behind all of the scriptures old and new testaments we have to remember that our messiah our savior was a jew <laughs> he, and uh you know he uh, so many times speaking uh, and so Jacob helps us with that, looking at the Scriptures from that perspective, helping us to understand. Uh, it really enriches our understanding of the Word. And he has a question for you as well, Jacob. You... Uh,
1: hello, Colonel. Okay. Nice
4: to meet you. Um, hey,
1: Jacob. Nice to meet you, brother. Oh, okay. Thank you, brother. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have a question, and uh, and I, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. At the beginning of your interview, you had mentioned, actually, you know, you shall love the Lord with all your heart and soul. And as you know, in uh, Matthew 22, Jesus, when asked, what is the great commandment, he actually quotes, as you know, Deuteronomy 6, 5, which says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and might. Uh, my question is, do you have any thoughts on why he would pick that commandment, which it really is a commandment, why you'd pick that over every other available commandment? To be the greatest, the, the most well, important. I guess, well, the great. I think that means the, yeah. We can, however, you'd like to word it. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. But um, I was just wondering, because you quoted that, and uh, and yeah. it certainly is a. Ver- very important uh, commandment. But I've always had interesting uh, th- uh, th- wonders and thoughts about that. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts since you picked it. And that is the one, the uh, 6-5, is the one that Jesus uh-huh. picks when asked. Why did he choose uh, that and Why yeah. that with all the 613 commandments? He picks that one. Do you have any thoughts on why he picked yeah. that particular? Well, I'll
0: give you my opinion on that. I think because it's preeminent. And that if you're supporting and embracing that commandment, you're really embracing all the other ones. You know, you can't say that you're loving the Lord with all your heart if you're committing adultery. Or if you're stealing. Or if you're taking the Lord's name in vain. You're in violation of that preeminent commandment right there. Hmm. So, so that's why I, would say. Well, I, I, think,
4: I think, think it is the most important thing. Way to go, Keith. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I'm not as quick a thinker. That was a very quick thinking and a, a great answer. You must have thought about that before, I, I'm suspecting. But uh, no. I thought it was a <laughs> great answer. I, I, worthy of the radio here.
1: You got another thought, Jeff? No, no, that's fine. I was just curious about his thoughts, and he shared. I think it's a good answer. Yeah, great. Thank you, Keith. Give our hey, love you're and so a big,
4: welcome,
0: Sophie. Big hug to Thank Sharon. you to you and Suzanne and what you all do here at Ministry and Military City, USA.
4: Well, we love doing it, as you know, and it's been great to have you folks in here in the city with us this week. And all through the year, our, our leadership team, folks, they have servant hearts. They don't lord it over. They don't try to control. They're the most supportive. Uh, they really have. I, I think you guys really embody what Jesus said about, you know, in this world, he said, your leaders lord over you. But I'm telling you that to be a leader in his kingdom is to be a servant. And you guys demonstrate that servant heart to us out here on the field uh, every day, every week, all through the year, uh, Keith. I really want to thank you for that. And I mean it sincerely. To Give a big hug to Sharon and all the team. And, of course, we'll be in touch.
0: All right. So I'll be a blessing to you and Suzanne. Thanks for letting me be on the
4: broadcast. Oh, you bet. Glad to have you, Keith. Well, there it is. Uh, a great opportunity. Of course, a lot, spend a lot more time with it. Uh, he's a very remarkable individual, and um, we've, uh, of course, enjoyed very much working with Keith over the uh, over the last <laughs> many years. Now, as part of uh, of crew, generally broadly, but also now more specifically in the late in these last uh, five or six, eight years, I, well, a little bit more since 2008, uh, a little more specifically with the um, crew military branch. Of the ministry. Well let's let's turn to our readings tonight from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we haven't put out any questions. I guess I could give a couple of questions from uh, uh our readings in the Psalms. Um, <clears throat> let me give you at least one or two questions, and then Jacob, you could pick up and maybe give a few uh questions you've selected out of our readings from Deuteronomy chapter six through twenty-eight. One is here from Deuteronomy <clears throat> uh well, Deuteronomy chapter 38, how was David, as he expresses it in Psalm 38, how was a da- how was David affected by his sin? And I might even say uh, uh, unconfessed, you know, where he kind of hadn't dealt with it. How was David affected by his sin? Look there in Psalm chapter 38. And uh, verse 3, how was David affected by his sin? And then let's go to Psalm 39 quickly and talk about <clears throat> David starts Psalm 39. It says he's trying to be silent, trying to be quiet. He seems to open up with that intention uh, that I will not speak. I'll. But what truth about life welled up within him and caused him to break his silence, caused him to... To speak out. What is it? What truth about life encouraged and kind of moved David to to break his uh, not a vow of silence, but to break his silence and speak out about God? OK, what truth about life caused him to speak out from Psalm thirty nine? So we have those two questions, Psalm thirty eight, Psalm thirty nine. Uh, Jacob, you got something, something yeah, for us? Uh, from
1: Just uh, just a couple of quick ones.
4: Um,
1: Oh, let's go ahead and talk about uh, um, year number three, Deuteronomy 11. What does Moses say will help the people to faithfully love, obey, and worship God? And the answer is uh, it's chapter 11, verse
4: 18. Ah, so you like that question. That's interesting. All right, what else we got?
1: Well, um, um... Let's see. Um, how about uh, in Deuteronomy 15, the people are commanded to forgive all debts after a period of how many years? Uh, so that was uh, that's uh, your number nine. And, but it really goes with number 10, so it's really a joint question. You want what, to put them both together then? Yeah, you, yeah. You? And what was a Jewish bond slave? And that's in Deuteronomy 15, 16.
4: Okay, from Deuteronomy chapter 15. Uh, verse 1, we're told, the people are commanded to forgive all debts. And we're not talking about here, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive the, our debtors. Or the, I, I don't guess. Maybe that's part of the, I noticed that in the old versions, the word debts is used. Uh, uh, and then it talks of those who trespass against us. Uh, our trespasses is we forgive those who trespass against us. Uh-huh. That, uh, as another way is translated, mm-hmm. but we're not talking here necessarily of, well, is this more of a purely economic uh, command, forgive all debts, or does that include like? Well, it's borrowed money or a thief or something so like that. So we are that. talking in the, in the yeah. physical money yeah, realm. Okay. And then uh, a related question in some ways is, what was a Jewish... Bond slave, and that's an important question to answer because not only from the passage here in Deuteronomy, but uh, e- even the, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament refers to himself as a bond slave. Right, a- and so it behooves us to know what, where was he getting that term? What does that mean? What is a Jewish bond slave? And you find that as well in Deuteronomy chapter fifteen, verses sixteen and, and seventeen, 17.
1: Uh-huh. and uh-huh. that's really an interesting question. Okay, um, but uh, all right. Do you think that's enough? Because we got six out there.
4: Oh, that's good. That's good. One, two, three, four. Well, it's not. Let's give one more because we don't really have six. You got six. I got five. Okay. Well, we, you you will have six now. Some, okay. Now we'll have six.
1: Um, how about uh, according to Deuteronomy eighteen twenty two, how could Israel recognize a
4: false prophet? Ooh, I like that too because. Uh, we kind of you know uh, I think it's a reality, and I'm not being critical we We try as part of our ministry not to ever be judgmental or critical of other ministries or denominations and so on. We work with uh I- I campus Crusade for Christ or crew, as we're now called is is uh, an interdenominational uh ministry we um like I said, we get to home in and emphasize those central. Uh, primary beliefs and teachings that we that most of us hold in common as Christians, you know, whatever our different backgrounds. But this is great in our time as well, Jacob. You know, uh, there's a lot of voices out there. There, not every not every building that has a steeple on it, it is really a healthy, vibrant, you know, healthy church or congregation. Yeah, and, uh, you
1: know, it's always been interesting to me. Is um, no matter which one you talk to, they'll always say, the other guy hasn't got it right, but the Holy Spirit's talking to me, so I got it right. <laughs> and uh, and I actually asked one of the pastors one time, I said, well, if the Holy Spirit's talking to all the pastors, he must be telling them different things because I'm getting a whole bunch of different answers.
4: That is a huge question, a huge thought. And uh, uh, maybe you, some of our listeners want to, talk about that a little bit. It's a reality that we face here in our country, I would say in a unique way because of our foundings, because of our national history, as uh, religious freedoms and so on. Obviously, we've, we've got every... Every title, every name you can imagine, uh, all the different denominations and thoughts. Our de- within our denominations, we have denominations. <laughs> so we uh, we do a lot of that uh, diversity. I guess it's the capitalistic uh, spirit run amok in the, in the religious realm. You know, we 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 diversify and multiply a lot. But maybe you'd uh, maybe our folks might have a question about it as well. You can call us three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you'd like to talk about that, if you'd like to answer some of the questions that we put out from the bo- book of Deuteronomy, we'd love to hear your thoughts there as well. So give us a call, 340-9585, and the lines have begun to ring and light up, and so we're going to go ahead and visit, uh, I'm wondering, I'm thinking this might be the same David. We, is this the same David we spoke to earlier, or a different David?
5: No, this is David from Arkansas.
4: Okay, David from Arkansas. You weren't over on with us before, right?
5: Yeah, that was me.
4: Okay, all right. I, I was recognizing the voices. I'm thinking you know, how many Davids I get it this is a popular name though, so anyway, David, go for it. What what's on your mind? What's on your in your thoughts?
5: So I was gonna talk about um the Deuteronomy eighteen twenty two question. Um, I mean it, it is a it is a good verse. That uh, talks about that how you recognize a false prophet. Essentially, um, it's when they're what they prophesy about or what they say doesn't come to fruition. But really, the the better test is Deuteronomy 13. And it says the same things. When there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he shall give you a sign or a wonder, and even if the sign or the wonder shall come to pass, it come to be true of which he has spoken to you, saying, "Let us go after other mighty ones." which you have not known and serve them, do not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For Yahweh your Elohim is true to you. Know whether you love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all of your being. The one in, in 18 really just talks about the prophet that speaks something presumptuously that, that doesn't come to, to pass. The 13 says even if they do say something that comes to pass, it's they um. You know, if they say to go after other gods, in other words, if they say to don't don't obey God's law, don't don't follow the laws of the Lord, don't follow what He says, let's go do this, then you're not supposed to accept them at all either. You're actually supposed to. You know,
4: wow, that's a very important. That's a very important passage in uh, truth that you bring out there from from the scriptures. We think of uh, I, I knew about the passage where it says uh, if it doesn't come true. If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. So that is one of those ways that we can test the authority, test the message of a prophet. But uh, chapter well, 13 you know is who well.
1: Else? You know who else said that? And uh, in the uh, Christian scriptures, in uh, Matthew twenty four twenty four, if I recall, uh, and I know one of the proof texts that many folks like to use is a miracle. But Jesus, yeah, Jesus right. Himself says, do not believe miracles. Do not. So, and I'm going to hit you all with a hard one. You ready, David? <laughs>
4: right. Okay. Maybe. Okay. <laughs>
1: A miracle can be a lot of people in the Bible. We have a lot of people all the way from. Prayers, By the way, the, people, word, the
4: word miracle is not in the New Testament. The word actually a mir- for. Miracle well, that's is right. And the one true. thing
1: we're working here right here is a sign or a wonder. Sign and wonders. You know. sign, sign or, sign or wonders. It's a good right. thing. Wonders a bad thing. No. If That's anything that's out of the normal realm, out of the normal physical expectation of being or an uh, obvious consequence. Supernatural, well, supernatural. so even, okay, supernatural. Well, even, even. And I, did I have that verse right, by the way? Is it, uh,
4: Let me look. Well, I, I, I think I'm it's a, 24, I, I 24. It quick, but yeah.
5: Heard. It says, For false messiahs and false prophets shall arise, and they shall show great signs and wonders, uh-huh. so as to lead astray, uh-huh. if possible, even the chosen ones.
1: Great. Now, this is a hard one, and that includes all of them. If the resurrection is. Only a miracle or a sign or a wonder. I don't think it'd be a negative thing. Perhaps a sign, probably a good thing. But that, the resurrection, according to Jesus, uh-huh. according to this, is not proof of not messiahship. Of itself, right. It has nothing to do with even resurrection from the dead. It has that's nothing more than a miracle. Can God do a miracle or a sign or wonder? Of course, He can. So what it proves is... Jesus well, wasn't the first one to rise from the... Well, that's true, in, too. But all it proves is is that there's a life after death. That's what it proves. It does not prove messiahship. So the question is, how do you prove messiahship?
4: Could it be you said you used the word prove... Mm-hmm. Uh, according to could, the, the it, definition of exactly the Bible. I, just, it could be an evidence... Right, it because be it is evidence. predicted. I think, in the, isn't it predicted in the Hebrew scriptures that the the Holy One, the, the Messiah, would not suffer corruption in the grave, that sort of thing? Isn't that kind of one of the understandings? Yeah, of, yeah, pre- it,
1: it can about be. The, so but, it's an evidence, but, but it's how not a proof. Do you, how does the Bible itself mm-hmm. give the differentiation between? Certainly, it can be an evidence, but there might be a bad guy that can do it. So how do you determine it? It actually is given the answer exactly where David says in chapter 13. So here is the dilemma. Soapy, David, and the listeners. And it's okay. Don't anybody be mad at me. (laughs) Uh, But here's the question. If indeed it could be done by a good or bad guy, so it doesn't prove Messiahship, Mm -hmm. but it does give us a standard. And I would say, and I think you would agree with me, I hope, that, and you can jump in on this, David, if you like, um, it does seem to say that if he says anything else other than God's laws... Then he cannot be telling the truth and he cannot be a prophet.
5: Now, that's. That is absolutely stood. true. Well, and if, and even, uh, even that sign would apply to the Messiah if he comes and. There you go. Now, here's David, you're getting, the at the,
1: you're getting to getting to the nut of my question. Uh, <laughs> if, and I've heard many, many, many Christian preachers say this, that we're freed from the curse of the law. If Jesus changed God's laws. What conclusion do you draw, David?
5: He's not the Messiah. Thank you.
1: Now, am I yeah, saying he, he's not the Messiah? No, I'm not. Because I'm you're going saying to if tell he you, taught against this, the
5: law. Uh-huh.
1: What's that? I'm sorry, say again.
5: You're saying that if he taught against the law, he uh-huh. could not be Messiah. If he did. But the now, thing is is he never once taught against the law.
1: Well, you stole my thunder.
5: He upheld the law. <laughs> I uh,
1: <laughs> That's my that's my point. I have spent a lot of time. I Uh, going through all these things, and I cannot find one, even though I hear a lot of Christian preachers say that, I cannot find one where Jesus actually did not quote the law. And two percent of everything he says comes from the book of Deuteronomy. So what I find fascinating is I've heard all my life that, well, you know, Uh, The law's been done away with, you know, we got all this, the sweetheart guy that's going to save us. He's Mm -hmm. taking all the penalty, Mm -hmm. all that. I've heard that all my life, except uh, if he did that, then he has failed this biblical standard. So I became very curious. I I worked actually with somebody else, a very knowledgeable guy, and uh, we took butcher block paper. We researched each and everything. And what I found was I cannot find that he violated anyone. And so it's always been a puzzlement to me, and I'm being very honest. Mm -hmm. How is it that many... Christian churches say, oh, well, we don't have to do the law. He freed us from the law. Now, if that's what he said, I think we have our proof text that he cannot be the
4: Messiah. David, why don't you give uh, – We D- Jacob and I have talked about this uh, a number of times here on the air and personally. Maybe you could uh, kind of give your response essentially to what he's saying there. And, and of course, you agreed in principle about the uh, <laughs> the concept or the, the, of his question. Um, oh,
5: and more uh, than principle. Yeah, in practice, that, I agree to the concept in that, that's practice what I, as that well. That word
4: I was looking for was premise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right.
5: Yeah. Um, so so Jesus, Yeshua, never came. Uh, what he came to do was to tear down the law of man, the oral law, which is now written as Talmud and Mishnah and Tesafet. It, it, it's everything that that man wrapped around the law of of god way more uh, there's multiple matter of fact what what people usually reference is paul to say that the law has been done away with more than they do jesus right and the reason they do that is because paul talks of multiple laws not just the law of god
4: Mm, intriguing listen there's our music we have to break away David, you've opened up a great topic for us. We're going to continue when we come back <clears throat> talking about the fact that what Jesus said, and particularly what Paul says, what does he mean in, when he talks about uh, the law, that we are freed from the curse of the law? Because he actually does seem to say that. What does he actually mean? Is the law, in fact, passe and past? Or is it in what sense did uh, Paul say those sort of things? Stay with us, folks. 340-9585. We'll be right back.
1: the
4: Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Yes, indeed we are. Thank you for joining us tonight. This is the Bible Live broadcast. My name is Sophie. My partner here and my friend uh, is Jacob, and we're talking about all things biblical. We are in the book of Deuteronomy Tonight, chapters 6 through 28, <laughs> and Jacob's phone is ringing off the hook, as we used to say. Well, and
1: I got a new phone, so I don't know how to turn it down and make it be
4: quiet. <laughs> he, he, he's got a new phone. He can't do anything with it. So anyway, there we, he, he's getting those touches, those uh, calls and texts. But we've also got another caller. Um, John, I've forgotten what line and, and who we're with. Uh, great. Chris is with us uh what? join us chris in our conversation chris thank you for calling in tonight glad to hear from you Hi, sophie how are you i'm great my friend really good and enjoying uh our discussion tonight about you know meeting the folks from crew military and hearing a little bit about what god is doing in that particular uh little corner of god's vineyard here on planet earth and uh, it's an exciting thing but also now getting into the book of deuteronomy and some of these uh some of these themes that are touched upon, do you have uh, I don't know if you want to maybe answer some of our questions for us or one yeah, or sure, two sure, or if you want if you wanted to discuss that that theme of the the place of the law today you know uh, after Messiah has come, what is our approach and what is our mm, what is the right? understanding of, of the law itself yeah, today I, in that I, I, setting.
3: Absolutely. First-time caller, I appreciate you taking my call. But uh, before I answer the question, uh-huh. I wanted to give Jacob another, a, a Laffy Taffy joke because I liked his, and, and that is, uh, how did Abraham make his coffee?
1: Oh, that's because... He brewed it
4: every morning. Oh, you got it! You got it! <laughs> oh my! Lad. That is, that's too easy. I would not have. He brewed. He brewed it. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. But um, did you? I I, oh, of course, you already knew it. That, is that a famous uh, joke? Yeah. Yeah, okay, go first, on, Chris. I
3: was first going to answer the question about the uh, what would the Messiah? What would be uh, to know who the the Messiah was. Um, outside of the resurrection, and I would say that the Mashiach is the one that will reunite the house of Israel. He will be the one to to bring the north and south mm. back together again as one kingdom, and then he will also serve as king over Israel.
4: Very so in interesting. Very interesting. Uh, from my perspective, uh, uh, kind of the way I'm, uh, I've am i come to kind of view and understand uh Israel, uh, maybe I'm over-spiritualizing and all, but we'll talk about it in a moment. But, Jacob, what is that part of the idea that Messiah Well, the would-
1: Messiah must must return all 12 tribes to the land of Israel. That is a definite requirement. And sure. uh, that doesn't say that if somebody believes Jesus is the Messiah, it doesn't say he's not. We can just say, at this time, that has not taken place. Israel, the the country, has been reestablished. And what's fascinating... Would not, you say that all 12 tribes are probably represented in
4: Israel now? I would say probably represented. That's probably reasonable. But your thought and understanding of that passage is that everyone from every tribe has to return to to the land of Israel. That's uh, what you're under, not they every don't, single individual, they not don't, just a representation. No, no, they don't have to live
1: there. But uh, I think it's fair to say there's many Jews that do not o- obey the Torah, and they're not uh, acknowledging it. And there's an, there is a saying in, among the Jews that the first day all the Jews keep the Sabbath, the Messiah will come.
4: <laughs> and we add the word again. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, yeah, that, that, that's part of that idea that returning well, it's Well, it's, to- it's a definite
1: requirement. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, and while Chris is mentioning that, it is a requirement. In fact, Chris, are you there? Yes, I am here. Good. I'm here too, and so is Soapy. <laughs> okay. So here's the idea. Now, are you familiar with? Uh, and I'm going to draw from uh, uh, the Torah. That's a knock. But I'm also going to draw for something you're probably very familiar with. I take it for that you uh, uh, would it be fair to say that. You're not Jewish, or as we understand it, you're a, a Christian believer—that kind of thing, Chris.
3: Uh, I'm a Torah observant Christian. Yes. Okay, that's good. A, I can buy. I can
1: buy that. Okay. Now, here's what I'm going to say. You're familiar mm-hmm. with uh, the beginning of Matthew chapter two, chapter three, where it talks about uh, there's a voice hurting, heard cry in the in, wilderness. In yeah. the wilderness, and mm-hmm. it's talking about. Uh, Rachel cries for weeping for her children. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Okay. Now that's the nut, that's the basis of what's really going on about the Messiah being required to bring all the tribes, at least spiritually, back. If you look that up and find what it's talking
4: about. Chapter 2, verse uh, 18. Okay, and why don't you read it so? Well, Herod's brutal action. And that the slaughter of the innocents, it's well known that uh, uh, he interviewed the wise men and, and they had this idea that a king has been born. And so Herod had all the children two years of age and under, I believe it was, um, killed mm-hmm. uh, in his jealousy and, mm-hmm, and, and, and mm-hmm. insecurities. And the, it says that Herod's brutal action um these are all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years yeah, old We're and under. talking
1: about Rachel and her tomb.
4: Yeah, uh, but Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, uh-huh. it says. A cry was heard in Ramah, uh-huh. Ramah a weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her uh-huh. children, refusing uh-huh. to be comforted, for they are dead. Ah, uh-huh. well,
1: dead. Uh. Anyway, <laughs> any rate, uh, interesting translation. But the idea is... Rachel was born, I mean died, I should say, and was put uh-huh. in her tomb. That tomb is still uh, uh, findable and observable in Israel. Now, Rachel was one of the daughters of... Well, she's uh, one of the wives. One of the wives of... She, she's uh, Jacob's, Jacob's Jacob's wife. wife. Mm-hmm. So,
3: and and Joseph, Joseph was one of her favorites, and Joseph had Ephraim and Manasseh. Oh, that's all true, but
1: why are you getting the idea that the Messiah must bring the tribes back? And what I'm trying to say is, that's the verse. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, she's crying. Well, remember the story, as you, said, as you brought up. When uh, Jacob buried her, where that tomb is, is the road that the Jews were led away on when they went into captured captivity. And what happened is the Messiah has to bring them back on the very same road. And if you look this up in Jeremiah, you will find this. Uh, mm-hmm. She's crying. And it goes on to say, three or four sentences later, and she stops crying when her children return. That's where you're getting the idea that the Messiah
4: must bring them back.
3: Hmm. Good. So go ahead, that.
4: Chris. Yeah, maybe you have a comment or want to comment further? Oh,
3: I, no, 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 no. I was just going to say, you know, that, that there's just so many, of, you know, prophecies of, of the regathering, Hosea one ten 10 and 11, Jeremiah 31, 33, you know, Isaiah, Ezekiel. I mean, it's just the, the, the two sticks must come back into one, and the Messiah will be the one to do that. Is this and, in and any
4: it, way, does this in any way relate, uh, David and, uh, and Jacob, both of you are quite knowledgeable on this. Uh, Does this in any way relate to the experience that Jesus had as a child of fleeing from this uh, slaughter, fleeing from Herod? Uh, We understand that Joseph and Mary, they took their family down into Egypt to flee from that. And they came back later and uh, didn't return to Bethlehem, but to Nazareth uh, further to the north. I'm wondering if that idea, because I think that passage is uh, referred to as well uh when it tells that experience when Joseph and Mary come back, it talks about out of Egypt, I have called much child, and so on, is there any relationship to that idea that Jesus returned from Egypt? You remember and, and this verse that we just the mentioned. way
1: I read it, the way I understand it, which nobody has to take what I say, but it's an interesting place to comment. Uh, remember, uh, he, uh, says Joseph Mary was told in a dream, hey, "Get your kid out of here. Mm-hmm. We're going to leave all the other kids to die, but you save yours." Um, uh, now that was not part of the verse. No, so it's it, always it's just something that's always troubled. There's editorial comment. It there, is editorial. Okay. It's always bothered me. Okay, but so if you look. When they flee, where do they flee? They flee to Egypt. Ah, that means when they come back, Jesus is obviously alive, and he's coming back with them, as you say, to what you call Nazareth. And that means that he's showing the way back. I interpret this to be built in there to be saying to the Christian reader, see, he went down and he's doing what's required. He's bringing the showing the way back on the same road, and uh, then hmm. Rachel will start enjoying
4: everything because her children are enjoying. Well, I was wondering if there was a relationship between, because the, the the writer of that verse, and I don't remember actually where it is, but it does, it, they throw in, this was a fulfillment of that 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 promise or that expectation sure. that out of Egypt I have called my child. Right. David, do you have a thought about that as well, or maybe you can add to that. I'm not. Not David. Chris. I'm sorry, Chris. Uh, I'm, so, I'm so full no, of David. No, no, I team.
3: mean, I, I, there's many prophecies that the Messiah would fulfill. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was just, uh, I, was, I was just linking that.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know.
3: Uh, po- I, I, I want to ask good. you a quick
1: question before we run out of time, uh, Chris. Uh, sure. Do you know what year the nation of Israel was reestablished in this century?
3: 1948.
1: Good. Now, here's the question. Do you know what year, from the year of creation, that Abraham was born?
3: Uh, no, I don't. 1948.
1: Did he yeah. say Abraham? You said Abraham. I did. Uh-huh. And, and remember, the promises, the promises of the land, et etc et cetera. But it goes to, uh, he was born from creation, 1948. Israel, is nineteen forty eight. I have always been struck by that. That's one of those other things I've just been very fascinated by.
3: So uh, here, here's one for you. Why did they take the name Israel? I've, I've always I've always wondered that because Israel went with the, the, after the kingdom split. The northern kingdoms took the name Israel because the blessing went with Ephraim.
1: Uh, I, know I know I know where you're getting this too.
3: What, uh, what's your ca-
1: favorite Bible that you use? Do you mind sharing?
3: Um, I I probably read the NASB the most. Oh. Um th- that's what I studied with in school. Um oh, I but uh I, it really doesn't I I'm not a uh I'm not a translation thumper if you were if you if you would, but the southern kingdom was always called Judea, which, you know, consisted of Benjamin, Judah and, and the Levites.
1: Well and, so, and Benjamin, it, yeah.
3: Yep. So it would be curious why they took the name Israel when those that are there now are actually judeans
4: good question that uh never occurred to me well it it is an excellent question
1: and i will tell you uh it's somewhat complicated but the truth is there is as he's talking about prophecy there is a prophecy and they are they are israelis actually they refer to themselves no matter what we may call them they call themselves israelis and Mm -hmm. all israel all 12 tribes are part of israel israel correct but here's the catch What's happening is when you call, you say, Israel, and you've got to determine how you're using it. But uh, the truth is, uh, Israel means, I know everybody's going to say that he wrestles with God and all that, but that's not the end when you're reading it in Genesis. There's a comma there. Mm-hmm. And it goes on to say, and he wins. He is victorious. Well... Mm-hmm. So what that means is uh, the best way of translating, and this is not from me, this some from Hebrew scholars, is Israel means champion of God. Mm. Now, and that's why he's uh, victorious. He's a victor. Anyway, so what we're sure. talking about is in when Israel got reestablished, certainly, uh, when the whole nation is back together, they will be Israel again. And there was something else we were talking about. What did you say a moment ago, Chris?
3: Oh, no, I was going to, um, uh, the question when I first called in was, how does the law still apply to, how what my thoughts were on how the law applied to Christians today?
1: Oh, well, that would only be, if I may say, really kind of my peeking through the window and giving advice which people may not wish to accept. I think God's laws have never changed. I think they've always been the same. Now,
3: no, I agree. I, I was going to give my, I was going to give I was going to give my answer as Oh to, yeah, please the, do that, Question poised. Yeah. Uh, um cause you you said that, you know, you, you said that uh, so Sophie mentioned that Paul said that the law was a curse, that that we're free from the curse of the law. The curse. Yeah. Um and Paul also says in Romans 7 that the law is holy, just, and good. So yeah. we, we've got an issue here. Is Paul schizophrenic? I don't think
4: so. <laughs> so good so, good observation. Um
3: so the law is still was and is and will always be holy, just, and good. It's a, it, it's a method of blessing. It's a method of, of, of health and, and, and doing well and well-being. And it's also the way in which a Christian becomes sanctified. It's the sanctification process. And when Paul says that we're free from the curse of the law, it means we're freed from the penalty of breaking the law, because breaking of the law, the physical penalty was death. Mm-hmm. Um, in Christ through the redemptive blood, we're free from that. Um,
1: we're free from that punishment.
3: Mm-hmm. Now as believers we're called back to the law in obedience. Oh. Not 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 as a method of earning ourselves. You know,
1: I like Sophie, I like what Chris is saying because I've said before, if I may agree with you in a few different words, Chris, um, yeah. I've often said, look, if if the Christian believes Jesus died for his sin, so this innocent guy got your penalty, okay. Now, if that troubles you, if you feel sad about that and you want to make it right, well, you don't want to sin anymore because, of course. Okay. So, but here's the catch. If I say to you, and Chris, I, you, I think I'm strengthening your point, uh, mm-hmm. if I say to you, what is sin? If anybody gives me any answer other than what it says in the Torah, then they it's don't transgressing know. transgressing the law is sin. Well, uh, it could be. It's. There's, I, I'm a little more. It's sin, iniquity, and transgression. But um, if if you say anything but what it says in the Torah is sin, you're kind of making that up. But if what you said that you, you should act in obedience, let's say that. Okay, so the Christian accepts his accepts his belief and he believes in the Messiah and in Jesus. You should know exactly what God would like you to do, and I think the word you are using is obedience. So if you know what God would like you to do, then that would bring you back to God's laws in the Torah. Do you agree, Chris?
3: Oh, absolutely, because, because the the Torah is what defines what sin is. Transgression of the law is sin. James says it. Moses says it. It's a, It's a continual theme through the Scriptures. To remove the law from the gospel is to cause the gospel to, to inflate on it, to, to collapse on itself. You, you can't have one without the other. And the, 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 what the church has done, sadly, um, is they've taken the law and made it out to be something bad, something, a, a curse, um, a heavy yoke, a burden. But the law isn't. It was never that. Um, what the law does is, is let's say, Sophie, let's say that you've got cancer, Oh, your terminal. Say you to that. <laughs> well what that. Well, no. I'm just give an example. So somebody has. Well, we won't use that. Yeah. Somebody. So, so, so I'm a doctor, and, and a patient comes in, wow. and I tell them they have cancer in their terminal.
1: Okay.
3: Am I? Am I the fault? No. Without the doctor, he would have never known you had a terminal illness.
4: And That's seek what treatment. The
3: The law reveals sin in our life. Yeah. It, it is that which points us to needing a, a Redeemer. Once, once we have the Redeemer, the law is our is our guidebook. Mm-hmm. It's, it's our process of becoming sanctified. And you mentioned earlier, you know, the the retired colonel, uh, you know, quoted Deuteronomy, you know, mm-hmm. love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Um, you know, Christ used that as, as the first tentative of uh, the first of the two commands mm-hmm. which that he thought were the most important well well how do you how do you love God? I mean he's spirit, so how do you define how do you love
4: God if, if you love me, you keep my commandments well and exactly. suggests first
3: first, that first it's John not... five three tells us that it says for the love of god is is, is to keep his commandments so that that thing is that verse is actually saying, yeah. keep God's commandments with all your heart, mind, and soul yeah.
1: And, and so, by the way, it also says God's will on earth. I don't remember the psalm, but it actually says that God's will on earth is to do his His commandments on earth. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, one thing, not to take a segue, but you know how you talked about terminal. And are you a medical mm-hmm. doctor, Chris?
3: Oh, no, no. I'm a, I'm a network engineer. I'm a computer nurse. He was
1: using a, Say I'm a doctor. Oh, okay. I, feel, okay. Yeah. Well, I just want to tell you this. Here's something interesting. You know what always bothered me talking about terminal? You go on mm-hmm. an airplane, and just before you get on an airplane, you know, everybody sometimes will worry about crashing. And what do they call the thing when you're getting on the airplane? A terminal. You
4: know? Terminal, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. That's a, uh, that's a bad naming, uh, bad use of the language. Well, thank you, Chris, for calling. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, and, and call in again. I yeah, enjoy talking to love you. Love to hear from you.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Take care, guys. All Bye-bye. right.
4: You know, I, I wanted to kind of build on just the last minutes we have here of, of the program. Um. I, I think this is an important theme uh, that we realize and understand what Jesus was saying, what Paul was saying, what the New Testament is talking to us. This whole idea of the freed from the law, the law no longer exists. It's it is true, but there, it, it, and I think Chris and you, I mean, and all of us, we we explain the sense in which it's true, the consequences, the condemnation that comes because the law condemns us all, Jew and Gentile alike, every every person when we look at god's holiness and his the law is also an expression of the righteousness and the goodness and the holiness of our god and we all have sinned we all fall short of god's glory and so in that sense uh, because of the atonement yes we've been delivered in some sense from the the curse of the law but the penalty i don't yeah the penalty but i i don't this is does worry me a little bit and i won't go so far as to say the church cuz i mean that's a vast group that I, you know, I can't speak to. That. But I think here in our own culture, in American culture, in Christianity, in the way it's expressed, I think sometimes we do mis- misrepresent the whole idea of we, we, there is such a thing as kind of easy believism, that we, we kind of sell the gospel as fire insurance. Well, you, you know?
1: know, when David brought up the thing <laughs> in Chapter 13, may I read to you Verse 1? Please. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, at 13.1, this is where David got his stuff. Uh, but, but the first verse reads like this, the entire word that I command you, that you shall observe to do. You shall not add to it, and you shall not subtract from it. So if this you... This is Deuteronomy 13. It, the exact chapter David mm-hmm. brought up. Mm-hmm. By the way, I would, we don't have time for this, but uh, sometime I'd like to discuss what I consider him to be. Well, somewhat incorrect on about the Talmud and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We well, we don't have time. We for don't that, have time for as that. You said. But the point is, um, <laughs> but the point is, is that sin is what it says. It's not what you make up. You're adding to it. And I'll tell you something very fascinating. Um, if you add to it, you made it up. And so you have to know what sin is if you don't want to do it. If you don't know, then you're making up. And you know, and sometimes they say, don't go to the right or the left or the left hand of God and the right hand of God. That's the other way of saying it. The right hand of God is mercy. The left hand, that's going too far with leniency. No justice. Everything's okay. I just don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. And Or if you go to the left, it's too strict. You're being cruel with no fairness, no compassion, no mercy. So left and right, that's what that's saying. So don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. In other words, they both have their function. You don't go too far to make it too strict and mm-hmm. crushing. You don't go too right where there is no it's law It's a great
4: picture. Yeah. It really is. It's a great picture right from the Scriptures. Uh, um, I guess what I was going to mention is more of a kind of a human... Ministry observation i 've made over the years is that uh, when someone comes to seek God and desire a relationship with God, I, I think it always it always has a moral or ethical uh, element to it. Maybe the thing that brings us to seek God is a uh, uh, lack of purpose and meaning and significance in life maybe it 's uh, fear of death, maybe it's a lot of things, but an aspect of that almost invariably is a commitment to knowing God, love God, walk with God, and glorify God with our lives. I must have hit a button here let me get that off. Well, you heard the Bible. So uh, I think most of us inherently, once we come to God, there is a desire to please Him, to honor Him, to obey Him. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. See you next week here on The Bible Live.
2: To helping restore the Bible to our culture. And it's brought to you by Crew
4: Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box
2: 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Sophie every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The,
0: the Bible, Bible Live Quiz, Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's
2: BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live Broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.